This is Trackside with Kirk Cavan and Kevin Lee. So let's kick off the month of May here in Indianapolis. This is and always will be the greatest spectacle in racing. Chases his fourth win. Welcome to the four-time club, Elio Castroneves. I'm partied hard, but I've never partied this hard. This is the Indianapolis 500. I know it's the second week of May, but it really feels like we're into May because it's now race week coming up with the GMR Grand Prix at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Saturday afternoon. 3.30-ish here on the radio, 93.5, 107.5 The Fan, and on NBC. Thanks for joining us on Trackside tonight as we continue to work our way towards the 106th Indianapolis 500 on the final Sunday of the month. Kevin Lee, Kurt Cabin, Sam Rumsa in our Indianapolis studios. You can join in anytime at Kevin Lee 23 at Kurt Cabin via Twitter tonight. Beyond the Bricks with Jake and Mike coming up at 8 o'clock. Between now and then, we talk about this, that, and the other. We have another reported destination that I guess it's not the first report, but it's the second. It's just a another confirmation of what we expected to happen. We'll get into that. What else is already brewing in uh, maybe the earliest silly season we've ever recognized? We can start to look at, at the GP this weekend, quarter point of the season, surprises, uh, not surprised uh, what still needs to happen to turn things around and much more. Uh, and I think we need to start on what's it's an IndyCar show, Kurt, but we owe it to the radio station to talk about what people in the motorsports world are talking about. And I think if we don't talk about Formula One a little bit, especially when half the IndyCar paddock was there. Uh, the F1 boss threw down on the Indy 500 broadcast. So we'll get into all of this tonight on on the show and talk about Formula One in Miami. The race is the race. It's another Formula One race. It was fine. What about the events? Because that's what matters. Well, I think from a first-time event standpoint, it was, it was pretty close to spectacular. Uh, the only thing that... Uh, didn't hold up maybe as well as you'd like was the weather, and it wasn't bad. It just wasn't postcard perfect. Uh, it looked like it might rain. Uh, there was there was some discussion of some rain. It was obviously hot in South Florida, and and I'm sure humid. Uh, but it you know it didn't look picture perfect from a from a from a sky standpoint. But I thought the racetrack was better than I expected. Even the part of the course. It had a little chicane where it went under the under the freeway. The drivers had some, you know, derogatory comments. Not not harsh, but even that corner was kind of interesting to me. It was uphill, and if you hit the curb, there was some some uh, penalty you were going to pay because the walls were close. It was a little bit uh, unFormula One worthy, but I didn't think it was the worst corner I've seen in in. Uh, in motorsports, certainly in streetcar racing. Uh, but, uh, you know, it was one of those things where they, I thought they did a really nice job to put the event on in short notice. And it came off really well from a competition standpoint. It wasn't, again, not the greatest race, but street circuits aren't. And I'd have to give them high marks for pulling it all together. I'm sure it wasn't perfect. I'm sure there was some Issues at the credential line, you know, there's always those kind of things when you've got a new event, especially on a street circuit where the, you know, everything is sort of temporary or at least never been used before uh, in that type of, um, you know, high performance, uh, high pressure. You know, you got to deliver a lot of credentials and so forth. So all in all, a really interesting uh, weekend. Some of the drivers I did see have complaints, as F1 drivers are wont to do. They didn't like the chicane. They didn't like the surface and said that had to be changed. Uh, I know this. I've seen a lot worse Formula One races over the years, so it probably wasn't fantastic. But considering you're starting from a parking lot and you're you're essentially going where the public is. So street races are what they are, even though this isn't fully a street race. It's, it's a permanent 
permanent course. It's not going anywhere. Uh, so I think that was probably okay. Maybe they make a few adjustments there in that regard. As to the event, th- there were – I saw a few um, comparisons wondering leading in if it's going to be like the – infamous fire festival which was a big music festival a few years ago and there are a couple of documentaries on it where they collected uh millions of dollars and had many many acts and basically aborted the whole thing and stole everyone's money is this going to be something like that obviously that's a bit of an extreme but i didn't hear that many complaints which is odd for a first-time event now i did see adam cooper who is a formula one journalist Uh, with a large following, said a lot of good things about Miami, but teams and sponsors not happy with the quality of service and the paddock club run locally rather than the usual up one organization. Tickets are $13,000, so people expected five stars. First world problems, I know, but lessons to be learned. And then he followed up on that today. If anything, I underplayed this yesterday. Some senior marketing people told me it was a bleep show and that wealthy f1 newcomers potential sponsors won't be coming back after a bad first experience my guess is there will be plenty waiting in line to take their spot at least for next year now if next year they don't rectify some of those issues and it may just be spoiled people expecting to be spoiled and that's very difficult to do in that kind of environment Uh, I think they're going to be fine for the short term. Long term is is another question, but really right now it's get it while you can. Get it while you can. Uh, Eventually everything does wane and it will no longer be the bright, shiny object for now it is. So cash in while you can. I don't think they'll have any trouble selling tickets. Um, You know, that part of the country has such a such an international flavor you know, and, and that's what Formula One is. And that's why I think it works pretty well in, in, in Austin as well. You've got, you know, the proximity to Mexico. So you've got Mexican drivers. You've got, you know, it's a place that, you know, people can get to. Um, what I think will wane in year two is the impact of the big stars being attracted to a race in Las Vegas. I think Las Vegas will steal a lot of the interest. I don't think. For example, the list of celebrities that I saw at this event included Tom Brady, Michael Jordan, uh, LeBron James, Michelle Obama, Serena Williams, Venus Williams. Those are, you know, the Watt brothers. Those are big time names. And and I just don't see it, you know, continuing year after year in Miami when you've got Vegas as an option. And I don't think most of those those stars are going to see two or three races a year. (laughs) I think it's one race a year. And I think some of those will will end up in in uh, Las Vegas. So that'll be an interesting dynamic to watch. But, you know, I'm sure some of the sweet activities were, you know, difficult to kind of come by uh, in terms of executing at a level that some of these people expect. I mean, again, as you mentioned, this was basically held in a in a parking lot. Uh, So it's not like you've got a downtown hotel with with a established suite and you know, all the, all the fixings. Uh, this was constructed basically in a parking lot of a football stadium. So I'm sure it didn't look as, as perfect as, as maybe uh, some people who spend that kind of money would expect. Looked pretty good though. Looked pretty good for a parking lot and the aerial shots were really good. And yes, it's easy to make fun of the fake Marina and for, and I, I think I saw someone, I don't know if it was Tom Garfinkel or someone else said, you know, we'll look into maybe putting real water in there. That could potentially be done if we find enough people. Uh, But that'd be an extra expense, but it's doable. But from the aerial shots looked like real water. And that that's part of it is just the feel. Most people probably didn't even really ask the question watching, watching on television. Um, The good thing about the Vegas race is they are split out quite nicely. You know, you're talking six, seven months, six months in between them. So, and even on the other end, what, five to six? Yeah, it's it's split out just perfectly uh, for there not to be a lot of carryover. Uh, it, it, it should last for a little while. 
Yeah, yeah, it, it could. By the way, the part about the marina that that was interesting to me, for all the hype, it really didn't have much visual impact uh, on the event. I didn't see it as I thought it would be obvious in the, all the camera shots. I thought they would spend more time looking at it. Now I'm talking a couple of weeks ago when I was trying to envision how this might uh, be a beneficial uh, scenery shot. It wasn't as as prominent as I expected. Uh, I just expected it to small. be much larger and more more in the shot, and it really wasn't. So whether there's water or there's not water, I thought it, it looked it wasn't noticeable one way or the other to me. It wasn't glaring as a fake water, and yet it wasn't um, It wasn't so important that if they did it fake water again that it would bother me. Here'd be a question. You know, you bring those boats in, which are a big expense, and not really set up for viewing. Are you better off just putting more suites, proper suites yeah. in there, where you can fit a lot more people and it would be a lot cheaper to do. And then you don't have to deal with the water. So that I don't know the right answer on that because there is something about, I'm sure that people, because it, that, that's the correlation to Monaco and you have it St. Pete a little bit and you have it a few other places. I really, I can watch this race from a boat. And someone told me once, luckily I've forgotten that number because I think it staggered me what you pay to watch the formula one race from Monaco. Uh, on a little bitty boat, what you're paying. And it is a massive amount of money. Now that's on real water though. And that's really in, in the Bay, but that boat ain't leaving either. So it's really no different than being in a parking lot for, for the weekend. But that's, you know, another aspect of it. And I saw the uh, organizers said they actually thought they might make money until recently and expenses got a little bit out of hand, but they expect to make money next year. And that's remarkable. Because I know anyone in the IndyCar world that started a street event is essentially, yeah, this is a big overhead to start with, and we need to get to like year three or four before we can start breaking even and making money. So to the point where they think they can, and it sure seems like you should be able to, I don't know what the sanctioning fee is. I've heard differing reports that they paid full full gate. I think Liberty subsidized this one a little bit. I don't think they're paying as much as Bahrain or Saudi Arabia or some of the other places. Now, they're still paying a lot. I'm sure they're still paying $15, $20 million plus, but I don't think they're paying the going rate of 30 to $35 million. So that still makes it a little bit difficult. What is it? I, I wondered about this, and I think I saw this. Uh, the estimate uh, for the build, I think Adam Stern found this somewhere. Something like $150 million, I believe, is what I saw. Yeah, that's what it was. Uh, the CEO, Tyler Epp, declined to comment on how much was invested in the campus and the circuit, but motorsports execs speculated it's likely into the low nine figures with one pegging it at around $150 million. That was from Adam Stern of Sports Business Journal. But they're not going to have to do that every year. Now, it's going to be significant each year, but it's not $150 million because the main infrastructure is going to remain. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna stay there. And you know, back to the boats for a minute. I like your idea of of just making elaborate suites. I mean, that's that has to be a, a more cost effective way of doing things, especially all the effort and, and time and, and money it took to transport those boats from from their dockside uh, headquarters. And the other thing is I think the reason why I didn't notice it as much the water aspect is they did a really nice job, as a lot of circuits do, of utilizing sort of the runoff areas or the areas between maybe, the, the you know, the cars will come down and do a, a horseshoe-type uh, path around the, the, the circuit, and that being painted in that aqua color that the mm -hmm. dolphins use, I thought that was really impactful, and I, I think my eye gravitated to that more than it did the the smaller area, which was, was the water, but I thought it, you know, had a really good view. Uh, had, it looked good from an aerial shot and, you know, by being, you know, painted in an aqua color, I think they'll, they'll repaint that in, in, in maybe dolphin colors or at least dolphin logo as they move forward. But that can remain as a, as a viable area for football games and, 
you know, and the straightaways. I, I I don't think they got enough credit for having really nice straightaways. There was good passing zones, or at least uh, it appeared there should have been. And the drivers seemed to like sector one. Uh, sector two was still pretty good, and then and then that one section underneath the uh, the interstate was probably difficult to uh, to maneuver around, no matter what they did. Nathan Brown of the Indianapolis Star was among the journalists there, and if you're wondering what IndyCar drivers were there, he started counting, and he came up with Tatiana Calderon, Colton Herta, Alexander Rossi, Ramon Grosjean, Devlin DeFrancesco, Marco Andretti, Pato Award, Juan Pablo Montoya, Felix Rosenquist, Marcus Erickson, Callum Eilat, Elio Castroneves, Simon Pagino, Joseph Newgarden, that's 14. Scott Dixon took pictures with his wife in Miami. I don't know if he went to the racetrack or he just was there for the weekend vacationing. Some of these had official roles. Callum Eilat was a reserve driver. Uh, all of the Auto Nation drivers, I think, were required to be there. Auto Nation has a huge presence in Fort Lauderdale and the Miami area, and I knew that was coming ahead of time as well. I'm sure some of them got nice checks to show up there. That's that's fantastic. Or they were with other sponsors, other partners. They're the former Formula One drivers that, you know, wanted to catch up with people like Marcus Erickson. And, you know, I know there was some angst of as why why are you there instead of well coming to Rev or doing something else. I'm not sure why we care what they're doing in their off weekend. But I think one way to look at it is they got some publicity for IndyCar down there. Yeah. That fan base is the most likely. Again, that's more valuable than sending them to the Super Bowl. You're more likely to find someone at a Formula One race or a NASCAR race that might take interest in an IndyCar race than you are at a football, basketball, or baseball game, in my opinion. Yeah, the one that was surprising to me of of at least past drivers was that Danica Patrick did the Open uh, for an ABC event as she works the NBC race at the Indy 500. That, I think that aspect surprised me more than some of the drivers attending this race. In fact, you know, some of these drivers live in, in, in Florida, Elio, for example. And, um, and so I, I really wasn't surprised that a lot of these guys attended for the reasons you discussed. So keep in mind that Sky is owned by the same company that owns NBC. I don't, I don't know if it's Comcast or NBC. I forget how it is, but so that's what's a little bit odd about all. And this will work in our favor. So when you're watching the uh, Monaco Grand Prix on ESPN, you will see a promo for the Indy 500 telecast later that day that I'm sure ESPN would love to cross off if they possibly can. But that's been there the last few years, and you've seen it on other F1 races. They'll promo the IndyCar race later in the day because Sky is the UK home. Sky F1 is the UK home of IndyCar races, and it's and it's all. Here's another one that's kind of odd. I think ESPN has to pay the corporate, uh, corp corporate entity of NBC for Formula One broadcasts to some extent. Because they're taking the feed. So broadcast is a little bit different. And, you know, to Danica, she's freelance. Um, yeah. You get permission. You know, you're, you're working one day a year. You, you aren't going to get exclusivity unless you're paying for someone to be on a full-time retainer. And, and, and the network can say, no, you can't do that if, if they choose. But um, in this case... It's all fine. And who knows? Maybe NBC's hoping to get Formula One back. The rights are up, and maybe it's all in the happy family. I think that's going to be challenging to figure out, as I've said before, how you make the commercial or non-commercial aspect work. It works pretty well for ESPN. I don't know that that works on network television every single week. So we shall see on that. Um, some of the other notes from the weekend is a good opportunity for Michael Andretti to, to really work the paddock and – uh, a, a lot of journalists taking pictures of every conversation, including Zoom pictures of the signatures he had basically on on the um, I guess he's he's what going through and just asking, hey, will you vote for me? Vote for me. Yeah, I thought that was um, interesting on Michael's part that, you know, the it, it can be so if you've been in a Formula One paddock as as I have it. 
it is uh, interesting how secretive it becomes with their their little areas, their offices, if you will, their dining areas that they create. I know they don't bring, you know, their full hospitality the way they do across Europe. Uh, they don't bring it to flyaway races, but but still, they always have these these you know units which which uh, keep people at a really you know long distance. <laughs> you can't really watch in. And, and see what kind of meetings people are having or who's sitting with whom. Uh, in this case, they were able to actually grab photographs. That 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 really was surprising. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Michael's going around getting the temperature of the room, getting people to sign. I thought it was good that he got people to sign because, you know, you could tell Toto Wolf that uh, Christian Horner was voting one way or supporting him or not, or you could tell, you know, Zach Brown this or that. But when they actually signed – kind of support for Michael, I thought that was a more, it, it certainly made it easier to go to another team and say, look, McLaren supports this. Look, you know, Alpine supports this, that kind of thing. I, I don't think you want to tell Toto Wolf that Christian Horner supports yeah, this. I, know. I, I think <laughs> you, want to, a... you want to tell Toto Wolf that Christian Horner hates me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> let me be on your side. Well, that, that's versa. just, that's just the one that uh, is is most prominent, but but your point, the, you know, the point is that they could actually show that someone is in support. It is fascinating that that Formula One doesn't seem to really feel like they they don't want Michael and Mario Andretti. We're good, and so, so the theory that I threw out last week about the annoyance of the Americanization, I've seen some Formula One journalists write similar things over the weekend too. So this is not a unique thought, and. It's our little club. It's to be exclusive, and we really don't want to share it that much. We want to take some of America's money, but we don't really want America to have more influence on this than we do. So that's going to be interesting, and I I fear that it's a bit of an uphill battle for uh, – now, maybe they're playing hardball. Maybe this is what it is, and it's not $200 million, which is the current asking price – that they're going to up this to four or five hundred million, and I think I actually did see a quote from Toto Wolf who threw out there that basically he was politely saying, "Yeah, it's one thing to pay the the entrance fee, but you need to have uh, significantly more than that." And we're not sure. I don't know that he was necessarily talking about the Andretti Group, but there are other bidders as well, and we don't think any of them have, or we are not confident enough that any of them have enough money to what it really takes to be in this for, for the long haul. Now, yeah. uh, this was interesting. Adam Stern also tweeted this. So this has been kind of a debate. Is is Formula One a rival of IndyCar, or do you try to use it to your advantage? Ultimately, I think you do try to use it to your advantage, whether they're a rival or not. You try to take advantage of an upswing in motorsports. I think in some ways you'd probably prefer it not be soaring so much. But still, I think this is better than the alternative. The fact that motorsports is growing in popularity, I think, still helps you. But to the rivalry aspect of things, and, and, and by the way, some have pointed out that Formula One is not interested in helping IndyCar. I'll totally agree. Of course not. Formula One would like to stomp on IndyCar, just like NASCAR wanted to see IndyCar uh, do as poorly, with the exception of uh, maybe it makes us a little bit of money running our tracks and being involved in those. The Liberty Media CEO, Greg Maffei, at the Bloomberg event on either Thursday or Friday said, if any of you watch the Indy 500, actually, I'll read the whole quote. We've tried to create a more interesting experience for viewers. Sky does a very good job, and I give them a lot of credit. If any of you watch the Indy 500, and I'm certainly not biased against it, because actually we were investors and owners of the team that won the Indy 500 last year. But look at the difference in the coverage and how strong the F1 coverage is versus the Indy 500 coverage. I think you'd walk away thinking the F1 experience on TV is a way better experience. So that was shots fired, and that didn't go over well with the IndyCar fan base, and people are wondering what does that mean, and here's the way I take it. I I understand what he's talking about from a graphic standpoint. I love the graphics on Formula One races. I love the visual that they have on the halo with all the bells and whistles and telling you everything you, you need, but you know how that happens? It's really, really expensive. 
it's not just something someone in the truck comes up with by being creative. You're paying a company millions, if not hundreds. I have no idea what the number is, but I've heard the number before of what like the first down marker on the NFL is, you know, the visual that they paint. I forget what it is, but it's super surprising. Remember, we've talked before about I'd love to have the arrow that points out cars and IDs them. That's that that NASCAR sometimes has. I don't even think NASCAR uses it much anymore, do they? Maybe yeah, because I don't think it's so. maybe because it's really, really expensive technology. The companies that create this sell it for an awful lot of money, and it's uh, obviously just expensive to do. So this is a worldwide feed. I'm sure somebody could Google the number of people that watch the typical Formula One race. Is it a Super Bowl number? Maybe not that high, but it's probably in the ballpark worldwide, isn't it? When you consider the number of countries that are airing Formula One, aren't we talking at least 25 million plus every weekend, if not 50, 75, whatever? Um, you know, you're maybe getting into half. Maybe it's close to a Super Bowl. So conversely, they're going to have the budget to do all the bells and whistles that are involved so that that's kind of how and the other thing maybe he's talking about is uh formula one right or wrong is going hardcore every single race it is up to you the viewer to figure it out which is you know one reason why even their biggest audience is going to be a million and a half two million people something like that mandy 500 again right or wrong but you're you 75 percent of your viewing public isn't watching another race the rest of the year the numbers show that so you're going to need to educate them a little bit. You're going to need, or at least the feeling is, and I don't disagree with this, you need to do some things to entertain the people that aren't into the reds and the blacks. I know we don't have that in the Indy 500, but you're going to have to have some more human interest stories. You're going to do some things that aren't hardcore racing. And, and Formula One, to the hardcore race fans' pleasure, doesn't mess with that. They're just doing their product, and it's the same every single week and that works for them but if you ever want to go super mainstream in america you, you might need to do it a little bit differently so my guess is that's what he said most of it so i'm not super offended i also took note that i think they might have been <laughs> number two on the list to buy the indianapolis motor speedway and indycar so maybe there's a little bit of lingering attitude there, and maybe they want it again, or maybe they are like a lot of people that are competitive. Since we didn't get it, we want to do everything we can to run it down. So I would say it is game like, on. It, it is game on. I felt it was a little bit of, of, of snobbery, uh, a little bit of maybe uh, disgruntledness if it tried to buy the Speedway or, or, or what have you, but it – you know, it. I understand that maybe that a hardcore audience is going to be more interested in in uh, in a Formula One graphics, bells and whistles, and I enjoy them too. I also find them difficult to keep up with when I'm trying to understand the the timing of the race and and the strategy involved. And quite honestly, uh, an IndyCar race has got much more, many more um, strategy plays in place, more cars more teams doing different things. Uh, the pit stops are longer. You know, there's, I think there's, there's more variables, more stops. Sure. More variables. Yes. And more things that can and, go wrong, more things that can go right. You know, one of the things that, that NTT data has, has brought to IndyCar and it's, it's certainly been helpful, but it's predictive analysis of, of what can happen uh, from from a moment on in a race, you know, by having an extra caution, what does that mean? What are the odds? And I think you'll start to see more of that moving forward. Uh, we've also started to see more gambling discussion in an IndyCar broadcast. And it's not because you're on this show that I'm going to say this, but I think the level of sophistication in an NBC broadcast is superior to what to what we saw back in the ABC days. Uh, again, no offense, uh, but it's it's a better broadcast for the hardcores uh, while still mainstreaming. You know, imagine where Formula One could go if if it really spoke to some of its mainstream 
uh, audiences as well. But but I think the number, whatever that number is from a television viewer standpoint, I think those are hardcore people. I don't think those are, you know, it's not like you're attracting, you know, at the Derby, people will watch the Derby just because it's a one-time event. I don't, I don't think you're getting that in Formula One very often. Uh, you know, maybe... Maybe Monaco does that for some people in the mainstream part of the audience, but but largely I think that's just hardcore fans, and those hardcore fans want to see all the bells and whistles. And that Monaco audience is a fourth or so of the Indy 500. It's a seventh or an eighth or a tenth of the Daytona 500, and it's what? 175th of the Super Bowl or, or something like that. So, Yeah. Um, so that is what it is, and it's it's worth noting, and I wasn't going to hide from that because I thought that was newsworthy and was one of the things that were people were talking about, and we'll just keep an eye on that as things move forward. All right, uh, what's the latest on Alexander Rossi, Silly Season, and much more, including your tweets, comments. We'll get to some of that, too, at Kevin Lee 23 at Kurt Cabin on Trackside. Hi, this is Alexander Rossi, and you're listening to Trackside. So that's one of our topics of conversation coming up in the next few minutes. Was Alex sped up a little bit there, or was that just my feed? I think it was your feed. It might. It just might be my my internet is gurgling. So hopefully we we make it for the next twenty eight minutes or so. Thanks for staying with us at Kevin Lee twenty three at Kurt Cabin. Uh, before we get to Rossi and other things going on, I wanted to check in on Twitter. Uh, oh, here, Brian at 500 Indy 1911 says, breaking news during trackside. I hear the Adam Stern uh, 19 minutes ago tweeted, I hear the Andretti F1 matter could soon be headed for the courts unless a solution is found. The last thing listed company Liberty Media can afford is a legal standoff with the USA's first family of motor racing. Ooh, okay. So that would go along with what, we've been saying is i'm not sure it's going to go well and it's looking like if this is true michael is agreeing with that and is not going to simply stand by and watch so there is a link to a story from racingnews365.com oh and it's it looks like it's there are many other items within this story. So I'm going to have to scroll down, scroll down, and I'm not seeing it in there. So, okay. So we'll look at that in the next break and see if there's, okay, no, it's just a little story within the story. Uh, This writer whose name is Dieter Rankin writes, on my way back to the media center, I learned from a team boss that Michael Andretti has been working the paddock chasing signatures for a petition to waive the $200 million anti-dilution fee required from new entrants. I'm told only two teams agreed, Alpine, his potential engine supply and technical partner, and McLaren, whose boss, Zach Brown, is a longstanding friend and business partner of the family. I hear the matter could soon be headed for the courts unless a solution is found the last thing Listed company Liberty Media can afford as a legal standoff with the USA's first family of motor racing. Okay, and that's all there is on that matter. So stand by for information on that. Thank you to Brian. Uh, also, Jam and T14 asks any road to Indy or IndyCar autograph sessions in the works this weekend. Looking forward to two full days of racing. I actually put that on my schedule, which is very detailed for the weekend as the commercial director for USF 2000 team, and then also covering IndyCar and Indy Lights. And I know IndyCar and Indy Lights both have an autograph session over the weekend. The Lights autograph session in the Fan Village is at 1230 on Friday, and the IndyCar autograph session is before that, 1115 until 12 on Friday in the Fan Village. So far, I have not seen anything for Indy Pro 2000 or USF 2000, but I know both for St. Pete and Barber Weekend, uh, the drivers were notified on like Wednesday that there was going to be an autograph session. So there still may be. So I would follow at USF 2000 on social media uh, and, and at Indy Pro 2000 if you wanted to attend theirs. Or I'll try to ask my driver if he has one to tweet out that, that information if possible over the weekend. Uh, Douglas 
no, I'm sorry, Indianapolis Motor Speedway Radio Network fan account asks, is it true IMS will be building a real marina in turn one, utilizing a patch of the Little Eagle Creek? Is that true? What? <laughs> if you remember, there was we had this discussion when the uh, road course was built for Formula One about the lake that runs alongside uh, the eighth hole of the golf course. That's about as far as the marina is going to extend, as best I know. And Douglas Kuhn says at least it would have real water. Now, there is the pond where I've sent many golf balls back That's there. That's what I'm talking uh, about. Uh, on the back the back stretch but there used to be the little creek and it's now underground that goes on the south end short shoot over there so you got one you got water there and you got water by the golf course and uh much more pat carroll asks what are the reasons indycar wouldn't be able to use the f1 track in miami the week before f1's race was zach brown and mario there would seem like a great opportunity to get a second use from such an expensive build well it uh, would probably start with a contract that that uh, Liberty would have, or or the organizer of the event would have with uh, with Liberty. But uh, there you go, there you go. Nothing I mean, other than a lot of money. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, if if you were building the track, you'd want to have the most uses for it. But by the same token, when you have such a venue, you you you've probably signed an agreement with the sanctioning body that you're paying. A significant amount of money to so yeah i don't i don't expect it here's the way it would happen if liberty owned indycar otherwise they are not going to allow another racing series to be there a week before would they maybe consider it in the fall you know four or five months six months separated maybe maybe they would now with that i don't know what all would need to be built up and in the fall it's not going to be possible because of I mean, maybe it is. Maybe if the Dolphins are on the road for two or three straight weeks, maybe something like that could happen. There's also a feeling uh, that that some have that you don't really want to be at the same track as Formula One because their cars are just going to be sleeker and faster and more uh, more nimble. I don't buy into that as much, but there are some smart people that that do feel that way. You know, I think it's maybe more of an impact if you were on the same weekend. Uh, and you're seeing them head to head, but I didn't feel like that was a big issue when IndyCar raced at Circuit of the Americas. Um, but but some people think you should stay away from that. But I, I don't expect it to happen. Certainly not around that race. Maybe something could be considered down the road, uh, but probably not very likely. There's probably something in the contract that would preclude it, uh, and they'd overcharge you, and they're just not going to want another event close to it. Dave Marin writes... F1 has exploded because of the following of the Netflix show and the trading card world. Tops with their F1 cards are growing F1 big time, something we've never really seen with IndyCar. I've never heard anyone say that. Maybe you're right, but I don't know how many of the people that went to this race over the weekend are collecting trading cards. Maybe it's helping with some kids. It has grown. No, no, no. It's it's bigger than that. It's it's big Hmm. dollar. Uh, but wow. I don't think I don't think that has an impact because the people trading those cards were probably lo- almost exclusively already embedded with the sport. Uh, you know, I just don't see a, a you know Darren Jack would be one to tell us differently, but I think largely the trading card world is is uh, is people who are already invested. That makes sense. It's just another piece of memorabilia to trade Correct. rather than helmets and gloves and things like that. And you're still servicing the already hardcore fan base. Yeah, that That's would right. make some sense. And, and a very uh, highfalutin as well. Okay, so I, I wondered what the numbers were for Formula One race. Who looked this up for me? Brian also did. Brian is our fact checker tonight. Uh, Brian found an article at amp.formula1.com, the season finale in Abu Dhabi last year drew 108.7 million viewers. Now, that was up higher. That was 29% higher than the race the year before. But that's one. Now, that was the championship race. Um, but that's an example. And that's about what the Super Bowl draws, isn't it? Somewhere in that range? Well, I think it's higher than a Super Bowl. That's, is that higher? The Super Bowl is less than 100 million. I think is it? it is. 
Okay, so yeah, so there you go. Okay, let's get to some IndyCar conversation stuff. Nathan Brown of the Indianapolis Star had a really good get in the paper very late last night and uh, I think justified the company's expense of sending him down to Miami, getting uh, several nuggets throughout the weekend with a story about Alexander Rossi's future. Everything for next year has been settled and decided upon, Rossi told Nathan Brown, and it'll be announced in the future. Is he happy with it? I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ultimately, my last six-plus years in IndyCar have had a lot of highlights and definitely some lowlights. This next step for me is going to be a positive one, and I'm excited about what it will bring. So he wouldn't say which team it was. He wouldn't say it's not the same team, but you can read from the quotes and going along with what we think we know. Uh, And his quote was, I think IndyCar has now become such a game of minute details. Having a fast car is half the battle, but you've got to be in a place where you feel that the small details are all being looked at and adding up to give you the best opportunity every single weekend. A lot of people talk about what makes a complete race car driver, and you've got to be fast, and then there's all these different things outside the race car, and it's no different for a race team. You have to have good equipment. Obviously, that's the priority number one. But then beyond that, it's all about being able to go out every single weekend and having your ducks in a row and being able to execute on the very small details. That's what adds these tens of seconds that make or break these race weekends and championship runs, end quote. And that is not the quote from someone that is staying where he's at. Agree? No, no, no. Yeah, I would agree. That's that's not I am staying where I'm at. So uh, obviously all signs that we've got uh, point to Arrow McLaren SP. But I suppose there could be another team involved. But it's interesting. By the way, the last two, uh, three of the last four uh, Super Bowl ratings, all under 100 million. The 2020 was right at 100 million, and and ratings have been going down, according to Sports Media Watch. Uh, The highest rating, uh, 114 in 2015. That's also just America, right? That is. Yeah, and this was a worldwide number, obviously. And I'm going to guess that you're getting. Well, I don't know. I don't even know what I would guess. It's got to be at least still 25 million more are watching worldwide, and maybe it doubles. Maybe it's another hundred million or so. Um, I have no idea. Super Bowl is a big deal worldwide, but you know, not not super huge. So back to the topic at hand on this. Uh, Jenna Fryer is the one who wrote Arrow McLaren SP and. I've talked to a lot of people, and no one has refuted that, even people close to Alexander Rossi. Several have said that I have purposely told Alex not to tell me what he's doing so I don't have to lie to everyone. And I understand that, and I agree with it, and I've done the same thing on certain things before. So, And part of it is because I like to continue guessing and speculating, and I don't want to know all the time Uh, because every once in a while there's something that someone would just tell me what's going to happen. And that ends the fun. Then I, then I can't say what I think is going to happen anymore. I have more fun guessing about these things and I'm in the camp on this one. I don't know, but I think we would have heard some pushback somewhere that this isn't likely happening or someone would have said, you know, Penske's going to be in the mix or someone else is going to be in the mix. Ganassi's going to be a player, and I'm not hearing that anywhere, and in part because I think that's the only team that is willing to commit right now to a seat for next year, which I is why it's right. going to happen. Yeah, I think you're now, right. And, and and you know, people who aren't in the journalism game or the reporting game don't understand that people will – if this was wrong, if this information that was distributed is wrong about Errol McLaren SP, you would have heard about it from the right people. They they would come out and it's just the way people communicate with each other to try to steer you off the story or something. And, and the fact it's been so quiet says there there is fire where the smoke is. Somebody would have floated a different story to a different journalist. Yeah. And. Yeah, and and that would have been an opportunity to combat that, and you've not seen that anywhere, and none of us that have talked to anyone in the paddock are getting anything different on that front. Now, let's look at Rossi's perspective here. Uh, Does it make sense for him to go ahead and tell Nathan that? It it does to me. He's probably got to follow some rules about making an official announcement, but this hopefully from his standpoint gets people asking him about it a little bit less. I think that's right. And I think he, you know, while people 
while people always you would think they would always know what they're planning to tell a reporter. I think sometimes you just get into conversations and you're surprised what it what comes out of your mouth sometimes. I, I think he's very calculated for sure, but I do think that if he wanted to kind of just say, okay, enough, enough about this, I'll just say this. Uh, I think it's entirely possible that, you know, sometimes, my point is sometimes people say a little bit more than they intended when the conversation yeah. started. I don't but get he's that pretty sense calculated. Here. He's pretty smart, and I think he did this uh, by design, and I think it helps. And I also think he he doesn't want he's going to have crew guys, guys he really likes that he's going to work with the rest of the year, asking him what are you doing, and he doesn't want to lie to them either. So he did, he can tell them the truth. I, I've loved it here. Thank you for everything you've done for me, but boy, they're offering me an awful lot of money and it's a really good situation and it's a long-term contract and we just need a change. We, we just need a change. And he can now be open and honest about that and move on rather than deflecting. It's okay if he deflects with us, but I know he doesn't want to have to deflect with the guys working on his car. Guys and girls, I think in this case, working on his car. No, I, I, I think that's got, that's right. Men and women is probably the more proper way to phrase that. There, there are no 16-year-olds working on his car. Men and women working on his car. Kevin Lee on the scramble back. Yeah. Try to be fair. Try to be honest. And actually try to get the right verbiage. That's the problem. <laughs> we don't have a delete button uh, on that. So uh, that's where that stands. And... Kyle Kirkwood is already apparently slotted in for that car. Can you recall two drivers this soon, before we got to May, already it being clear that they're leaving? No. And you're not just talking about guys leaving, but you're talking about, you know, some of the biggest names in our sport, you know, and and I think, you know, yeah, I mean this this is super early and I think just you know like we talked about on Friday I think we'll know Renus VK's fate pretty quickly too. I, I think it'll be before the end of the month. What was Paul Tracy's deal in 95-96? Wasn't he kind of on loan from Penske for one season and then he went back to Penske? So that might have been one and I don't re recall the timing text Paul and ask him. I talked to him a couple of days ago. Um, so maybe that that's one. And I'm sure there have been others that people will come up with, but I'm kind of curious, when have we known someone was leaving their team this early in a season? And with Rossi, we're now beyond reports. It's confirmed. Now it's not confirmed yeah. that he's leaving, but it's all but confirmed when you read those quotes that he is leaving. All right, we'll get to the news of the day and more all coming up. Trackside, 93.5, The Fan. Hi, this is Tony Kanan, and you're listening to Trackside. Make plans to visit the Tom Wood Group Indianapolis Speedrome, powered by Lincoln Tech. On Saturday night, the Indianapolis Speedrome will again feature family-friendly racing action, great food, free parking, and outrageous fun, topped off by the Speedrome's world-famous wild and unpredictable figure eight and the return of big wheel races for kids ages 5 and under. Adult tickets, $10. Kids 8 and under are free. More info at speedrome.com. And it's time for the Speedrome and Circle City Raceway news of the day, Kurtz. This is, uh, we always like livery reveals, and today we got one from J.R. Hildebrand and A.J. Foyt Racing. The number 11 Chevrolet will be sponsored, uh, or at least uh, share a platform uh, with a very good cause, Homes for Our Troops, and they have built to date already 330 homes, and for these go for, for severely injured uh, post-9-11 veterans to enable them to rebuild their lives. ABC Supplies matching all donations between basically poll day and uh, and the Monday after the race. So a really good good cause, uh, this nonprofit uh, to get behind. They, their slogan is building homes, rebuilding lives. And I like these kind of things. We see a lot with the Ray Hall team. Uh, we've seen them with other teams, but and just another reason to support A.J. Foyt Racing in the month of May. 
Good cause, and ABC Supply has been one of the great partners. I know they're not full-time anymore, but they they kept things going for A.J. Foyt Racing starting, boy, I'm going to say it's been close to 20 years now, mid-2000s, something like that, when they first came on board with A.J. Foyt Racing, and they're still involved in May. That's our news of the day at Indy's Dirt Track, Circle City Raceway at the Marion County Fairgrounds. Sprint cars dominate the month of May. This Sunday, the Jonathan Birds 410 Sprint Cars headline a full night of action along with Speed 2 Midgets, Outlaw Micros, and the Shirley Unlimited Snow Company UMP Modifieds making their season debut. And during Indy Race Week, USAC National Sprint Cars will be racing the 25th and 26th CircleCityRaceway.com. I've left it for the end. Didn't want to open with this, but I, I enjoyed all of the tweets when I, I tweeted uh, when I, I did. It was a game time decision, but I went and uh, attempted the mini marathon on Sunday morning. And I started 30 minutes after the leaners started. So they were uh, about halfway done when I started. So I tweeted something about, you know, we must have had a bad qualifying setup because starting deep in the pack and lots of good comments about starting on the red, switching to the blacks. Here's what I, I think actually happened. So I'll compare it to a sports car race. I started in an LMP2 car, not, not a DPI or an LMP1 because I wasn't going that quick, but starting that far back, Lots of GT traffic I had to navigate. So I'm weaving in and out of people and ran like an eight and a half minute pace in the first mile, which is pretty good, uh, jumping over people and stopping and walking or stopping uh, on several occasions. And it went fine for the first half. And then on my stop, not only did I change tires, I must have changed to like a really bad GT4 car because it got a lot slower. <laughs> and, and really what I, so it was going okay. I went, you know, I would run, little over a mile, then I'd walk a little bit and run a mile and was going okay. 12.54 miles. I've never had this happen before, but I thought I hurt myself. My left knee just locked up and I thought I was going to have to crawl home. Stood there for five minutes, started limping, and then all of a sudden it started feeling better and I ran like the last quarter of a mile or so. So I would say my 959 pace was more of a moving pace because I stopped the watch while I while I stopped there for 10 minutes or so. But I you made finished, it. You finished in a big wheel with a big wheel, just I like finished. we've heard in the commercial. <laughs> All right, out of time for tonight. We'll try again tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. Jake and Mike are up next, Beyond the Bricks, on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.